chapter 6, verse 1 to 7, verse 1. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but have servants of God who commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of the righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall, son, you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty." Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Well, good morning. Uh, if you're just joining us this morning, it's your first time at Redemption. We've been going through... Uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, it's a series called Authenticity. Uh, you can listen online if you want to catch up. Um, but it's about our 10th week in this series. And uh, if you have been listening to the whole series, congratulations, here's your certificate of completion. Now, um, I hope that you've been uh, really getting a, a good sense of what authentic Christianity looks like through this series, um, getting to know what that means. Um, I invite you to please pray with me before we begin. Father, we thank you uh, for your word this morning. I pray that you would help your servant to uh, preach your word uh, with truth, with goodness, with beauty, representing you, Lord, who are the source of all truth, goodness, and beauty. Please, Father, help us. Uh, we confess that we are so inauthentic in so many ways. Uh, we thank you that you make us authentic, that you truly forgive us of our sins through faith in Jesus. You reconcile us to yourself. You call us sons and daughters. Lord, what a privilege we have through faith in your son. We ask you would give us faith this morning. Amen. 
So uh, like every American, um, I love pizza, right? Like pizza's great, it's delicious. Uh, one out of every eight of you this morning is going to eat pizza today, according to statistics. I see a few hands, a few people are like, yeah, I'm hungry, give me that pizza. Um, according to American business lists, Americans eat approximately 100 acres of pizza each day, or 350 slices per second. So, wow, 60 seconds in a minute. So in one minute, how many pizzas is that? Um, and there are approximately 61,269 pizzerias in the United States alone. That's a lot of pizza. I mean, we are a pizza-consuming nation. Uh, now, a good friend of mine uh, suggested that we watch, uh, my wife and I, we watch a show on Netflix called Ugly Delicious. Fair uh, warning, parental warning, there's ex expletives and stuff, so don't have your kids watch it with you probably, and if you're, just, just fair warning. Um, but aside from gaining five pounds uh, and craving every pizza joint all over the world, I mean, we want to travel pretty much everywhere now, including Japan, um, just to like give it a shot because of the show. Um, uh, we learned, though, that everybody thinks that they make or that they have authentic pizza. Like, we have the authentic dough, or we, we're the original founders of pizza. Everybody tries to make this authentic claim about pizza. And so the Italians have their officially recognized pizza, and I kid you not, they have this you know, agency, this organization that certifies what a true pizza is. And unless you have that certification, you're, you're not an authentic pizza maker. Of course, somebody you know, who was part of that organization split off from that and created his own little pizza pie shop. You know, and that's the true authentic, you know. And it's just this crazy, all these claims for authentic pizza. And such that uh, one guy in, uh, in Japan, he started his own pizzeria and wanted to give um, you know, everybody, everybody there uh, a good experience of what good pizza tastes like. And so he imported all these ingredients from Italy. Now, in my opinion, a margarita pizza, it's just simple. Let's keep it simple. It's tomatoes, get a little bit of parm, you get your, uh, your mozzarella, and uh, a little bit of basil, maybe some olive oil drizzled over, and that's it. Nothing more. Don't add to it. Don't subtract to it. That's your perfect margarita pizza, right? Well, so he started doing that, and then eventually he, he realized, though, what, what makes Italian pizza authentic is that they use the ingredients from their own, own culture, and so that's what they did. They, so, so what he did is he used all Japanese ingredients to create a, a pizza pie. So it looked nothing like Italian pizza. It looked more like sushi, but looked delicious. <laughs> I mean, really, but, but it was representing you know, their own region. It's, it's amazing, though. I mean, the, the, so the whole discussion's fascinating, um, and it, it relates to today's message because everybody's looking for authenticity. Um, and, and I mean, once you've tasted something that's truly authentic. Like, you never want to go back to something else, right? I mean, about seven years ago, Gina took me to Connecticut for my first time. And I, I, mean, I gained so much weight there. It was amazing. It was so, so much good food. Um, but I had, like, the first pizza pie that changed my life. And I'm never going back to Domino's after that. Like, I can't. I can't do it. I just can't. Um, and so once you've had the best pizza pie of your life, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, uh, you don't want to look anywhere else. And authentic Christianity is like that. There are all sorts of imposters and inauthentic experiences and, and, and posers um, for Christianity. But real, true, authentic Christianity is the only one that will change your life, the only one worth living for. And so here Paul tells us what authentic Christianity is all about. 
He's just finished talking about the gospel of reconciliation, that in Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. And now he's, he's, he's encouraging this church to be reconciled to Paul. And so verse, verse 1, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, he says. For he says, in a, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And here, Paul's quoting Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8, here to tell them that God is ready to receive anyone who comes to him. Just as God had, had rescued Israel so many years ago, now through, through faith in Jesus, God is rescuing people. And, and he's pointing out that in this now is the favorable time language that, that we're living between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And right now, it's a day of salvation. It's a day of invitation. Come, be reconciled to God. Come, have peace with God. And it's being offered to everyone everywhere. And there's no opting out of what happened 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem on Calvary. There's no opting out. A Jewish man who claimed to be God absolutely changed the past and, and changes our future. And so everyone has to, at some point in their lives, reckon with the event of the cross. This event that proclaims Jesus died, he, he was raised, so he's risen, he's exalted, and he's offered as the only means of salvation possible. And so this morning, I, I, again, picking back up from last week, I, I want to invite you to be reconciled to God this morning, to come, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so what, what does authentic Christianity look like practically? Um, saying that Paul here is, 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 is showing us a picture of authentic Christianity. So what does that look like? Um, I think Paul gives us three marks about authentic Christians. And so uh, if you want to follow along this morning, here are the three marks that, that Paul gives us. He says, first, authentic Christians endure adversity. Authentic Christians endure adversity. The second thing he says, second mark, is that authentic Christians are vulnerable when they need to be. And lastly, authentic Christians are loyal to God. Those are the three marks of authentic Christians. And so let's look at these marks and, and, and think about how different our lives would be um, if we lived in this way in response to God's grace in our lives. So, so authentic Christians endure adversity. Verses 3 through 10 here. Um, let me just say, before I read uh, more scripture, um, no matter who you are, you can be rich, you can be poor, it really has, does not matter. At some point in your life, adversity will fall upon you. Like that day is coming of some kind of hardship. Paul outlines here, he lists nine hardships that he encountered. Like one of these hardships, I guarantee, is going to happen to you at some point. And so to ready ourselves to prepare for that day, whenever that comes your way, um, let's consider how Paul responded to adversity. So, so there's nine hardships, three groups of, of, of three items each. So beginning with verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Verse 4, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. And here's the first one, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and the ninth thing, hunger. 
all of those things, those different levels of adversity that he encountered. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, slander and praise, we're treated as impostors yet are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Um, and so how is it that authentic Christians can encounter and embrace and survive adversity like this? The reason is God's message of reconciliation for Paul. The gospel itself has changed what it means to be a winner and to be a loser. It's kind of flipped those things around. And that's why you know, we see these like, opposites here that Paul draws at the very end, these contrasts. Um, because winning and losing is so different for the Christian. Uh, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus have changed everything, even the way that we fight the battle. And so when affliction comes our way, or opposition, or some unfair treatment, or criticism, as much as we hate it, uh, we see each of these challengers differently in light of the cross. Because of the gospel, uh, for, for example, when somebody criticizes me, and uh, as a pastor, I get a lot of criticism. I'm in public eye, essentially, a lot more than most people in your vocations. My wife pointed out to me last week, even, that, um, sorry, Chief, but whatever. Uh, but she's like, you know, most people, they go to work, and nobody except maybe their supervisor sees what they do. Every week, like, what you do, everybody sees it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, thanks for the reminder. Um, <laughs> like, you're always on display, essentially. And um, so, so, so you're kind of under the gun quite a bit, right, with, with criticisms. And, and so I can begin, because of the gospel, I can begin to see, you know, kernels of truth in every criticism, even ones that are completely unfair. They're sometimes... They're very, they can be very accurate. And so, so to be able to listen to the criticism and not take it personally, uh, because at the end of the day, I live to please Christ, not myself. To please others that he has bought, he has purchased. And, and Christ has already won for me. And so, like, I mean, even in the smallest battles possible, I don't need to measure up because Jesus has already. I mean, so that, that has really helped me. Um, you know, with, with my own struggle with performance and giving me great peace and, and a lot of rest. But Paul says we fight with, he says, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So, so the left hand, um, of course, in military battle, we're thinking that's used for, for a shield, right? And the right hand, you, you're equipped with the sword. So you have defense and attack. Um, you know, you're, you're ready for all ends. And so these weapons, though, they're not like what we use in hand-to-hand combat, combat. These are different weapons we fight with. At the end of the day, um, we fight with different weapons. And he outlines them, verses 6 and 7, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, power of God. Um, if you're familiar with the, uh, the New Testament, maybe you'll, you'll think of um, Paul's list in Galatians, where he outlines the, the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Right? So similar list. And so what he's saying is that we, we battle um, with this message that we've received and with the gifts that we have been given by the Holy Spirit. And that means we fight and we defend by the power of the gospel. And that's why he can speak truthfully with kindness, with faithfulness, not um, out of vengeance, which is usually what we want. When somebody hurts me, you know, like I want to I get back. I want to fight back with that. And he can respond differently because of the gospel. 
He refuses to practice cunning and deception because winning that way is still losing before God. And um, really quickly, I want to say too that Paul never once asks us to go out looking for suffering or adversity. Like, he's not saying, like, go chase, go live a radical life for Jesus such that you encounter all nine hardships in your life that I encountered, right? Like, that's not what he's saying here at all. Um, He outlines this because inevitably every Christian will encounter some form, some kind of adversity, some kind of suffering in your life. Um, but, but, but we're to live authentically wherever God has placed us in this life. And so whatever vocation that is that you have, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you work the classic nine-to-five, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a student, a full-time student, whether you're juggling all kinds of things at once, you're tri-vocational or bivocational or whatever it is, wherever God has placed you, he's called you to live authentically where you are, Because he will give you what you need to meet adversity with perseverance and faith. Uh, I love how one pastor described Christianity's view of suffering. He put it like this. He said, Christianity teaches that contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. Right, what goes around comes around. Well, sometimes it's unfair. It shouldn't come around to me. But contra secularism, oh my gosh, sorry. Uh, Suffering is meaningful, end quote. And so, I mean, authentic Christians, they endure adversity. That's the first thing, first mark that Paul points out. The second mark is that Christians are vulnerable when they need to be. Right when we need to be, and that's the second mark. So, Authentic Christians are vulnerable when they need to be. Today, it very possibly, it might be your first time back to church in a very long time. It might be your first time to church ever. And if that's you, you've probably encountered Christians who are inauthentic, people who say one thing and do another, people who are hypocrites, people who have wronged you, who are church-going people and they've done some really messed up stuff, people who really stink at their job. Like, you know, they, they don't show up on time or they don't work as hard as you do. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've encountered Christians like that. And it was inauthentic. Well, Paul demonstrates the opposite of inauthentic living. And he invites us into vulnerability with each other. So verse 11. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Verse 12. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. And, and really quick, um, when he says I'm speaking to children, that's more of an endearing way of talking to them for the most part because he is essentially a father to this church that he birthed through the preaching of the gospel, right? So just really quick. So here Paul is talking about the fact that these people have been closed off to him. And they were closed off to him because another group of people um, had challenged Paul's authority and stirred up a lot of division in this church. And they were teaching a different version of Christianity, which we're going to really get to um, in a few more chapters. And that version of Christianity was inauthentic. It, it was more attractive to our tastes and our preferences and our likes, but it wasn't true. And so now he says, widen your hearts also, as he's widened their hearts to them. And Paul leads by example. Vulnerability has to be modeled by all leadership. Um, it has to start from, from leaders in the church. That's why Paul himself is vulnerable. 
Um, it's also why I try to share little anecdotes about myself or stuff that our family's going through or whatever with all of you in hopes that in your community groups, in your personal lives, when you're showing hospitality to one another, that you would open yourselves up and, and, and be real. Be vulnerable with others, wisely, of course, but that you would. That you would really get to know people and ask deeper questions, you know, ask meaningful questions. Encouraging one another as long as it's called today. And so Paul pleads with his church um, because there are some inauthentic Christians who are trying to turn people away from him and his message of reconciliation. And so authentic Christians, they endure adversity. Authentic Christians are vulnerable when they need to be. And finally, authentic Christians are loyal to God. This is the third, the third mark and the third thing I want to talk about this morning. Uh, it's exactly what he says next. So authentic Christians are loyal to God. Verse 14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or fellowship has light with darkness? Verse 15, what accord has Christ with Belial? I'll pause there for one second. In Greek, this this word is belier. It was belier. And it it was a word that was often used uh, in the Old Testament to talk about the wicked, evil people. Um, But it, it was also used in Jewish literature to um, refer uh, to the noun Satan, you know, the adversary, the evil one. And uh, maybe a helpful way to remember that, mnemonics are helpful uh, just when you're memorizing things or whatever. So how I think of it is he be a liar, like be liar, you know, just helps me. He be a liar. So that's one way. Uh, Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Uh, 16a, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And so obviously there's a ton of comparisons here. Uh, and in all of these, when he, when he tells us not to be yoked to unbelievers, is Paul saying that we can't have non-Christian friends? Is that what he's saying? The answer to that question is an obvious no, but I need to explain why. Um, so first of all, our, our relationships, of course, with and to people who don't believe in, in Christ, they, they, they will change a bit. Uh, if you believe in Jesus, if you've been reconciled to God. For example, if I'm in a sexual relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend, I become a Christian, that activity is probably going to stop. Um, or if I used to go out and get drunk with my friends every weekend, I know I'm no longer uh, living by their influence, but I'm influenced by the Spirit. And so my life will be changed. It'll be a little bit different. It doesn't mean that I can still, I can't have my old friends, uh, but their authority over my life hey, bro, come on, let's get smashed this weekend. It's going to be great. Like, that's going to change to, uh, you know, I'm not into that, man. But, like, let's go grab a beer at Stone. I hear that place is, is great. They've got hops, makes you hoppy. Uh, it's a good place to, to have a beer. <laughs> There's the dad joke. You got it. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it changes, right? Those are just a few examples. I'm not going to give any more. Um, Neither Paul nor anyone else in the entire New Testament tell us to stop being friends or to no longer work with or associate with unbelievers, okay? Um, We're told, though, not to be yoked together with them. Being yoked together is to be so joined to them that the direction and the outcome of our lives, the pattern of our lives, is shaped by them in authority over us rather than the authority of Christ. And that's what Paul's getting at here, that authentic Christians are loyal ultimately to God alone. First and foremost, before any other authority. 
And his concern here specifically is with people who call themselves Christians outwardly, but inwardly are not. They're not truly authentic Christians. And so he has his opponents in mind and anybody who associates with their divisions and their schisms. But don't take my word for it. Um, Whenever we're reading the Bible, uh, we want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. This is one of the greatest uh, recoveries of the Reformation, is to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so uh, this interpretation is consistent with what Paul said earlier to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. So uh, if you have your Bibles open, please turn to 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. Um, Or you can just write that down and read it later. But remember he said, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. Verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. I mean, so it's, it's very clear that what Paul means here is that we shouldn't be yoked, joined to unrepentant Christians, to people who say that they're Christians and yet live very clearly in ways that, that practice evil and cunning, uh, deception and divisive practices, proving that they're not authentic Christians in the first place. And that's what he means here. And then he goes on to remind them that they're God's temple. This is kind of the why of all of this. Why, why don't Christians engage in idolatry like everybody else? Uh, apparently the false teachers were telling this church that it was okay to worship Jesus in whatever way that they like, uh, the same way that other gods are worshipped, for example, because their sins are forgiven. And that really misunderstands the impact of the gospel in our lives, that the gospel actually changes everything in our lives. The true faith in Christ begins to, to change our lives, to reshape us into the image of the God who is holy, because Jesus died and rose for me, I'm a new creation, right? I no longer am who I used to be. So verse 16, verse B, um, part B. For we're the temple of the living God, as God said. I'll make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Does that ring a bell anywhere in the Old Testament? Let's keep reading. Verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Verse 18, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then chapter 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So Paul quotes a bunch of Old Testament passages here, and he strings them together. So, I mean, it's literally quote for quote for quote. So we have Exodus 6, 7. We have uh, Isaiah 52, verse 11, Ezekiel 20, verse 34, and then that adoption formula in in 2 Corinthians 7, quoting uh, quoting back to Isaiah uh, chapter 43, verse 6. And so he strings all this stuff together, all of these verses to point out that every single one of these promises is true for those who trust in Christ. For everyone who believes in Jesus, each of these unique promises in the Old Testament that find themselves in the Old Testament and are reverberated all throughout the New Testament, they're true of every ordinary member in Christ's church. And so, for example, if 
you're in Christ, God shows you favor is one thing. Another thing he says is God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And, and probably the most significant one, at least, at least for me, uh, this is very, very powerful, that God is your Father. I mean, think about that that, 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 that that promise is true of me. So whether I had a great father or not, um, I have a perfect father through faith in Christ in my heavenly father. So you have this by faith. And as someone who belongs to this God who's holy, he says, be holy. Walk as he's called you to walk. Um, and he points out, he wants us to be clean in both body and in spirit. That means our thoughts, our words, our deeds in every way. Um, everything we say and we think and we do, to be in accord with, with what we profess of who we are in Christ already. And uh, in conclusion, Paul gives us three marks of an authentic Christian. He said that Christians endure adversity. He said that Christians are vulnerable than, than when they need to be. And, and that Christians are loyal to God. Those are the three marks of authentic Christians. Are you tired of inauthentic Christianity? Like, are you, like, pretty bothered by all the, the faux Christianities that you see around you, all the gimmicks, all the tricks? Give up the gimmicks, give up the tricks. Come, be reconciled to God through true faith in Christ. This morning, the truth is being offered to you. Like finding that great pizza dough, the best pizza ever, right? That authentic stuff. Come to authentic Christianity, true faith in Christ, and taste and see that the Lord is indeed good. Amen. Father, we thank you that you delight to give us the truth and that that truth is, uh, in a way, it's delicious. That, that truth is good and it's beautiful. It even makes us feel good. It, it, it's all of these things. It affects our bodies and our souls, our entire being. Father, we thank you for your goodness in Christ. We thank you that you forgive us, that you adopt us as your sons and daughters, that you renew us, Father, even when we're not feeling it, when we're tired, when we're fatigued, when we're depressed, when we're anxious. You fill us with the hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting through faith in your Son. So, Father, we thank you for that goodness. We thank you for your gospel. We ask that we would see it uh, in our, our daily lives practically every day and every moment that we would begin to, to see how your gospel changes our lives, changes the way we interact with one another, changes the way that we're vulnerable with one another, that you would widen our hearts as you've widened your heart towards us and your son, welcoming us as your people. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Um, at this time, uh, we, we take a moment to renew our faith, and uh, we've been doing that through the New City Catechism. Uh, man, it's crazy how much the New City Catechism has been lining up with pretty much every week all year, because uh, this week is actually the Apostles' Creed, and normally when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, um, we recite the Apostles' Creed, so that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, so this week, uh, question 31, New City Catechism, what do we believe by true faith? Everything taught to us in the gospel. 
The Apostles' Creed expresses what we believe in these words. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, this week, we, um, it's the first Sunday of the month, and we celebrate uh, communion, Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. Many ways to put the same thing that we're talking about in the New Testament, that, that um, Jesus has instituted a meal for us, a special meal, uh, where, where we actually receive the body and blood of Christ. By eating ordinary elements, bread, and in this case, grape juice. Um, but, but through use of these ordinary elements, we are actually lifted up into the heavenly places, feeding on Christ by faith. And God actually uses the, the, the regular practice of this ordinance, the sacrament, to nourish us. Uh, the Lord's Supper is, is a sacrament of nutrition. Like, you know, like all of us, like, you know, we, we have to eat a certain diet. We have to get enough, you know, all your macros in and whatever, like get enough vitamin D, vitamin this, blah, blah, you know, all your vitamin A's and B's. It's nutrition. Like that's to live a healthy life, right? So the same, uh, to live a healthy spiritual life, God wants us to eat this meal, drink this meal for nourishment, feeding on Christ, being encouraged more and more uh, through the use of this meal. Um, all of our Redemption kids are coming in at this time, and um, we, we welcome our, our children to, to sit with us because um, even by, by, by being in the same service, watching their parents participate in this meal, um, they're learning what it means to be a Christian. And so that's why we, we invite our children to be here right now. Um, and if you... If you um, would those who are assisting me please come forward at this time? So the, the Lord's Supper is a meal that's, that's for people who profess to have faith in Christ and have been baptized. And so if you, if you truly believe in Jesus by faith and you've been baptized, um, this is a meal that's for you. Uh, we do ask that if you do not believe in Jesus presently, that you would abstain from this meal. You'd let the elements pass by you or would not come forward to receive them. Um, because we take the, the New Testament seriously, and, and, and really quick, although we have our young children here, if they've uh, not been baptized yet or if they um, do not presently believe in Jesus and they have not made vocal uh, profession of faith, uh, we ask that they would also refrain as well until they're old enough um, and they've been uh, uh, confirmed uh, as, as members of this church. 